Just a little disclaimer. There is so much noise happening outside my house while I tried to record this introduction. I couldn't avoid it. But I want you to know, before you start hearing all the crashing, it's not your neighborhood that's getting destroyed, it's mine. Hey now, everybody. Just getting back from a trip to Phoenix, Arizona with our prison program, Alive Inside. Hi, this is Ned Buskirk, your host and the executive director of our 501c3 nonprofit. I'm your host of this Creatively Conscious Mortality podcast. Welcome to You're Going to Die, the podcast. And yeah, I'm the executive director of our nonprofit that has a prison program that is worth mentioning because I'm still halfway there. Part of me is still with the community in Phoenix. We just got back from the Innocence Network Conference, and I just want to name it so that at least it's clear as I start recording this introduction that you know where I'm at, maybe emotionally being with that community. There is no better, more efficient way to really get a sense for the ways the prison system is broken than being with a community of exonerees, people who were innocent and spent years, decades in prison for something they didn't do. The amount of exonerees that were at the conference, people that were innocent and had been freed by so many of the innocence projects and organizations' efforts to free them from the prison system all over the world, the amount of exonerees equated to 5,570 years of time inside prison, 5,570 years of incarceration for innocent human beings. And I'm feeling like you should expect an episode coming up eventually for us to kind of dig into that a little bit through some stories and some guests that really help highlight that and and to give you a chance to get what I get from being there, which is just learning endlessly. And we go there and we do our, our open mic, sort of a restorative justice version of that in that there is exonerees are there, their family, friends, partners are there, the legal aides, the attorneys, the directors of these organizations are all in one room just sharing grief and heartbreak about this reality. Anyway, there's not ways that it connects directly to my being with you, but I I do want to make an effort to kind of connect you to what what else we're up to all the time. And if you have any questions or are curious about our prison program, please reach out. You can get to us at connect at yg2d.com. We, as some of you know by now, do a lot of work in prison in San Quentin every week with a group called the Light Keepers doing suicide prevention, essentially peer support, supporting communities, supporting community. And we also have an Alive Inside program where we do open mics in prison. We actually do that every other month in San Quentin and make space to be with that community and share the responsibility of of what the prison system does to us and the impact it has on us and also all the things that 
we carry when we live stories that lead to incarceration and so grateful for the togetherness and connectivity we find there. And like I say all the time, I meet people in prison that are more alive than anyone I meet out here all the time. And we've been to Ohio in quite a few prisons in Ohio, and that is where we got connected to the exoneree community through the Ohio Innocence Project, who we worked with at the conference in Phoenix. Okay, just wanted to say that. It feels important for me to kind of say it, say that that's going on. And if you want to find out more, you can reach out. Please do. And if you have opportunities, maybe some prison community that you'd like to connect us to, we are here and ready and willing. So thanks for letting me just get that out there with you in this episode because it just felt like it was at the edge of me. Now let's get to the guest. Let's see if I can just pause for a second and and make a, a more overt connection. I think something I feel about a lot of our guests and a lot of the community that we get time with in our workshops and our events, the community in prison, outside of prison, impacted by the prison system, the cancer patient community, I think in the United States, what I didn't get was rituals of maturation, rituals of growing up. And I've heard that said from other people. And I wonder sometimes, and I felt like I took a moment to acknowledge this community during our event in Phoenix. We also did a a general public open mic where we had just whoever was locally needing that kind of space at a bookstore called Changing Hands Bookstore in Phoenix, where we did one of our regular open mics, You're Going to Die, Poetry, Prose, and Everything Goes. But one of the things I've been acknowledging and acknowledged there was how maybe, like what happened when my mom died, then I was given the opportunity for some kind of rite of passage. And I'm not saying that anybody should use these things for a rite of passage, should have to use these things, but in a way... I think in relationship to my mom's death and how I lived through that and and how I'm here now, it gave me that place to grow up in a way that clarified what matters more than anything ever had. And so then it was a rite of passage. And I'd like to say that I was committed immediately to making meaning out of that and somehow taking something from that loss that I could carry with me into the rest of my life and deepen my experience of being alive and That is so important to me, really overtly, like it's conscious when things are hard, it's immediate. What am I doing to make it through this for sure and not get destroyed by it? And also, what am I doing to make life after this? And I think of a rite of passage as that, and I didn't have that growing up. I didn't, I just didn't. And I don't know about you, I hope you did, and if you did, what a, what a powerful thing to have in your life, in your community, in your family, whatever it is. But I think my mom's death at 26 was my version of that, immediately needing to grow up in some ways or mature or deepen my understanding of what it means to be alive. And so I'm connecting that to this guest, this guest being a version of that, so many of our guests being versions of that. And I don't want to say much more than it was so nice to get to this conversation. And like I sometimes feel, okay, (laughs) I've admitted some of you have heard me say sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, do I have to do this again? Do I have to do this event? Do I have to record this? 
podcast. I'm just, I don't know if I can, but I'm so glad that I've essentially created a job in my life where I can come and at least say that honestly, and actually know that it's a place where you're supposed to be able to name things like that. But in contrast to sometimes feeling that way with this guest, I really wanted to get to them. And I think it's partly because my connection to them is through someone I trust, our producer, Nick Jaina. But also, I think just from the little ways I was beginning to know them before we talked, I could feel some kinship in our togetherness. And so I think that's enough said other than a little bit of a background for this human being. Jenna Bowers has been intrigued with magical healing and creation since she was a child and has spent over 30 years in her own personal practice studying spellcraft, card reading, space cleansing, mediumship, ritual, ceremony, and more. She writes an advice column, Ask a Witch, holds moon circles and workshops virtually and in person, and was elected best energy healer in Portland, Oregon. She works with individuals, couples, and groups to empower people to embrace their own innate magic and find their unique path in the world. Her specialty lies in her creativity. She loves a challenge and welcomes any opportunities to co-create a unique and meaningful experience for each person she works with. I love that that last line is exactly how she showed up in this conversation because more than usual, I felt the, yes, I need this. I'm ready. Give me it. I I don't know if I believe it. I just want to integrate it. I want to find my truth uh, and where it connects with Jenna Bowers and what she does. And I think that so much of you're going to die gives me a chance to do that. It's like open, listen, ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let me learn. Uh, But I also was kind of keeping in mind the listener and knowing that maybe some of the stuff coming up maybe is just a little bit out of reach. I don't know. And how could we kind of challenge ourselves to create as much access as possible for you to connect to Jenna and me in this conversation? So just kind of prepare yourself for that. Soften in a way. Sweeten yourself to what's happening in this conversation. I'm inspired to say that by a musician that was at the Innocence Conference who did a song in one of the big ballrooms where we would gather. Everybody at the conference would be there. And this musician played a song and their family member who's incarcerated and on death row, part of the song had a recording from them. The family member in prison talking with the musician. And so it's just a long stretch of music, a little orchestra playing strings, holding this person's recorded words. And one of the things he said in there is how proud he is of the sweetness that he still has a connection to from his childhood, the sweet way that he was a little boy how that's still protected and available and accessed after everything he's lived through. And that's not to say that you've lived through something hard to get to this episode, but I'm definitely inspired by that recording and those words to remember there's a place in me that is sweet and tender and soft and available and and wanting to learn and in awe and curious and so I invite that little part of you here and also like however you want to listen have at it. And there is one more note. At the very end of the episode, I want to give you a heads up that during our conversation, Jenna Bowers and I were talking a lot about her dad and her dad's death. And so the song at the end is a song that her dad would sing. And it's kind of the only song she 
could think of to share with me that is a recording of him being a musician. And you'll see why in our conversation that the music and the connection to music between her and her dad. And so the Shook twins took a recording of him and their community singing that song. And it's a track on one of their albums. And so wait for that at the very end of the episode. It's a sweet little end note to this really wonderful conversation that I hope you enjoy in this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Jenna Bowers. Well, I'll start by saying that witchcraft has been a part of my life always. Uh, So that has taken me down many, many different roads that I never could have expected. And it just continues to unfold for me. Mm -hmm. The the ways that I express my witchcraft um, continue to deepen and grow. And and so that's just the general answer of that. And of course, I could talk about that for hours, but I'll just leave that there for now and say that... um, I, you know, I started calling myself a witch when I was 10 years old and when I was, um, and for the first, you know, 20 years, it was a very private thing. I, some friends knew and I, I once in a while, someone re- would reach out to me for something like, "Be help us cast a spell for this? Or mm. I think my house is haunted and, you know, I would do my best to help them, um, Wait, was that, is it, you say that's the most, <laughs> is that a really good example of the most common request you'd get is come and clear yes, the house? That one, that one comes up, that one mm-hmm. shows up for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't anything I was ashamed of, but I did learn pretty early on, just culturally speaking, that, you know, witchcraft was weird and you didn't want to just like fly that flag. <clears throat> so I, I kept it to mm-hmm. myself for the most part. And luckily my family was really supportive my parents were hippies and they're very spiritual and, and they were just like, you're a witch. Sounds good. Let's go to the library and find you a book, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I feel very grateful yeah. for that. But uh, yeah, it was just something I kind of did on the side. It was my own personal thing. I, I never practiced with anyone else or, you know, it was just very, very personal, very private. And then um, when I was 30, the big death happened, <laughs> which I'll get to in a sec. <laughs> and that was really what, yeah. um, you know, it's like one of those moments, like I'm sure you relate to where, you know, there's like before and after that moment in your life. And for me, um, everything that I could imagine changing changed and it, it became so that death actually became one of the, the deepest paths of my spirituality pretty quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. cause I didn't have a choice. (laughs) It was just so, you know, it was just, um, in everything, in every moment. And, and so that really, it also propelled me to, you know, in a lot of ways to change everything, like I said. And one of those ways was to um, start kind of professionally pursuing my witchcraft because, you know, I was going to die <laughs> and I needed to, yeah. <laughs> I needed to do the things I wanted to do with my life and stop, you know, like letting anything stop me kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Seems the biggest message yeah. like folded into the Absolutely. great big deaths, right? Is yeah. this is yeah. you. This yeah. is about you. Yeah. So um <clears throat> yeah, it was like, you know, to me it felt like a like a portal that I went through. And I you know I, I have said before to clients that I think that one of the gifts of of death is that, you know, when you love someone, we we give each other a, a part of ourselves. You know, we kind of hold a part of ourselves in each other's hearts or 
wherever, you know, and, um, Mm-hmm. And when someone we love, when that person dies, they they take that part of ourselves across with them. And it's like all of a sudden we have this yeah. access to these realms that we did not have access to previously. And, you know, that mm-hmm. experience for me as a witch, someone who was practicing accessing other realms, you know, was a huge gift to all of a sudden have um, family on the other side that I could connect to directly and and mm. have this kind of glimpse into this <clears throat> enormous, <laughs> vast realm, which obviously I, I don't have a complete understanding of by any means, but, you know, a glimpse into this other side of reality, the other side of the veil, as we say. Mm. And um, Yeah, do you... You 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 kind of describe that in a way that I was almost mm-hmm. anticipating because I think lately I I in some of these conversations for the podcast I go you know I do kind of what I said I want to avoid for us which is the canned this is the thing and I remember for a long time and it still means a lot to me to say it I felt like when my mom died I went through some part of me went through mm-hmm. a wormhole with with her part of me like sort of stretching me into two places at once and how that affects how you look at life and are in life. And I think I would describe it in a way, which is what it felt like, which is devastating and and like complicated and not that you didn't have any of this with your own loss, but what I'm loving already is this idea. And you could say you didn't <laughs> paraphrase me, right? But this idea that you've got these people that have gone ahead to maybe in some ways know more or connect you to more of, of not just being alive, but being in the universe, like also being dead, like what it means, what we gain access to when we go beyond the veil. Yeah. Is that somewhat kind of what you're saying? Yeah, no. And, yeah, you know, as I continue cool. to experience loss since then, um, it's just continued. It's just deepened. Um, Cause mm-hmm. there was the first big death, but it wasn't the last <laughs> in these last 13 years yeah. since that happened. But yeah, the first one, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> was, a, was an absolute tragedy. It was my one and a half year old nephew and he was the first mm-hmm. baby in our family. And so he was like the first, the first kid, the first grandkid, the first nephew, the, you know, it was like for all of us to have this baby and, um, my sister and I are very close and I decided pretty, pretty long ago that <clears throat> I didn't want to have kids myself in this life. And one of the reasons that was an easy choice is because my sister did want to have kids. And I was like, great, your kids are my kids done. Like, so, you know, I love that. That's so, I love that for us. <laughs> and she loves it too. And it's great. We can share, you know, um, I can support however I can without being a parent. And so yeah. that, you know, for me, it felt also felt like my first child. I was like, this is my kid. Um, not to right. compare my experience to my sister's experience, you know, but like it was devastating. It's as close as you got to it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the closest you, you, um, yeah. Right. You know? And so it was interesting because I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, thankfully I spent a lot of time with Kieran while he was alive and Kieran, Kieran. Name, yeah, Kieran Ray. Yeah. And Uh, that said, like he was one and a half, so (laughs) he didn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of, um, things to remember him by or things to remind me of him. You know, it wasn't like when my dad died six years later, you know, it was like a very different experience. Um, we had all these things we had done together. We had all these songs that we played together, you know, it was like with Kieran, it was just like, 
I just, his physical presence was so, um, well, his, I should say his physical absence was so palpable, you know, it was like not being able to have this child in your arms anymore, you know? So it was just this absolutely Mm. devastating thing. And it just completely changed my entire life because it was like, what (laughs) this can happen? Like Mm. I I was 30. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. um, he was, he was a year and a half and, um, Mm -hmm. it just, like I said, it kind of, what it kind of did for me was create this, this real need. And I'm a storyteller anyway, but it created this need for me to make some sort of meaning from it. Cause it was like, this doesn't, Mm -hmm. this is not, this is not okay. Obviously I need to, this needs to make sense somehow. And, you know, I look at it like, it's not, it's not like someone gave, came to me and said, Hey, I, I have a choice for you. Do you want Kieran to live or do you want to like deepen your witchcraft and your experience with death and your ability to hold space for others with grief? You know, it's like, Oh, I'll take, I'll take Kieran's life. Like, that would be great. I would love to keep that. Thank you for asking. You know, that was never a choice. Absolutely. So I, yeah. I just, I had mm-hmm. to, you know, make a broth from the bones, you know, it was like, I had to make something with what was left. And, um, and so it really, you know, I, one of the things I started doing that I'm just so grateful for, uh, is I started to play music and, you know, I, my dad was a musician. I was raised with that all around me. And I just, I think I kind of took it for granted. It was like, Oh, someday I'll maybe play an instrument, whatever, but it wasn't a priority. Um, my dad was always in bands. I was always invited. I would, you know, sing along and shake a shaker or whatever. And I'd always done that. I was always a part of it. But um, when Karen died, I was like, okay, what, what would he have done with his life? And how can I embody that? So I started playing music uh, and I started to, like I said, pursue my, my witchcraft as my career. Cause it was the thing that I loved and was best at. And it was like, maybe I could do something with this, you know? Um mm-hmm. Yeah. So those were the two like huge things that came out of, out of that death and, or I I don't know if two is quite right, but yeah, music, witchcraft, whatever. Right. It was like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. In the Excel spreadsheet, here's the one (laughs) item, item one. Um, no, but I, I totally understand, uh, that I, can I, can I highlight a couple of things you said that I really, really loved? Well, I just, I remember talking to Megan Devine on the show, uh, who, um, runs refuge in grief and um, wrote, it's okay that you're not okay. But one of the things she says and said in the conversation with me that I like burst me into tears was the reminder that, you know, me saying the gifts I've gotten or how the work I do or that you and me, Jenna are even talking right now is, is, is something I can credit my mom's Mm -hmm. death, you know, for, you know, that the risk there is, is somehow negating uh, the grief around what wasn't, you know, that if I could even still have it my way, I'd have my mom here, you know, and that I can feel both those things simultaneously and knowing for you to describe it like that, not having a choice. And so then making room just in that little way you described it for what was lost, you know, what, what you still don't have and, or, you know, have in a different mm-hmm. way. I guess I should say, since I'm talking to you and knowing, knowing your skills and your work and your, your being a witch in the world, like maybe 
one of the lines of of our conversation could be how Kieran is still here and how you're still connected yeah. to Kieran, maybe. But what I want to say also is when you describe your dad, the difference around that loss, which I also would would love to talk about, is the certainly the what what you lose, right? My mom. I lost year. I lost 20 years now, right. Of what it would be like to have my mom alive, but I had a bunch of life with her. So the memories that I still have, I have those years. And with Kieran, I imagine the grief deeply is the, like you said, mm-hmm. the physical presence, but also the, what all the, all the Kim growing yeah. up, like what it would mean to have him two, three, four, yeah. the stories, the conversations and feeling, I was just listening to you knowing that all that goes away. Yeah, exactly. That is definitely part of the, the, the heartbreak was, you know, and I I think about it, Mm -hmm. you know, every year I, I do something to honor his birthday and his death day. And, uh, Mm -hmm. so every year I check in with him and I, and I connect with that part of him that's now 14, you know, and what's he like? And, um, my sister had two more kids and, um, you know, they never knew Kieran, but they also miss him. Mm a lot, you know, they wish they had an yeah. older brother yeah. and, uh, and then at the same right. time, you know, <laughs> again with the what ifs, but it's like, I have to acknowledge that if Kieran had lived that like Anderson and Birch wouldn't still wouldn't be here. Cause it would have been a different timeline mm-hmm. entirely, you know? And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, we just yeah. don't know everything. She probably would have had another kid, but you know? probably not too. And, you know, and so it's like, mm-hmm there there's just there's so much space to to miss him while still being you know yeah. grateful i think of him as my spirit kid you know i'm like i have two kids embodied mm. and i have one in spirit um mm. and i love yeah, i love his, his presence, presence is, i like feel his like gro- like yeah. older brother vibe he's he's got you know such I mean? a gentle and he yeah i mean he's definitely still in my life. And, and, and mm-hmm. I'm so grateful because one of the things that I experienced, one of the first like kind of spiritual experiences I had with him after his death was at his memorial. And it was at my uncle's house, which is, um, on the water and just out in, in wilderness. And, um, <clears throat> it was a really, it was October. It was a really rainy day. And you could see, cause we were on the lake, you could see the rain all across the lake, but there was just like a patch of clear sky above us for the entire service. And, um, I felt his presence in it so strongly, like, like in the wind, like touching me, I was like, this is Kieran. And it just blew my mind that he was not a baby. I was like, you're not a baby. You're like an mm. eternal <laughs> being of light. You know, you're not yeah, you're like a baby. Yeah. You're so much bigger yeah. than than this little body mm. that I remember. Um, and you know, that mm. kind of started to, started the process of changing the way that I had, which I hadn't really honestly thought about death all that much and what happens when we die. Um, not that I hadn't thought about it, but just not at this level. You know, it was like, yeah. Oh well this is one of the things that happens, I guess you become a part of everything and you mm-hmm. <laughs> are vast and eternal. Yeah. I can still t- tell it was his presence, but it was not what I was used to. You know, it was like, Oh, this is so much bigger. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like that's a yeah. feeling like you just said it, you said it feels bigger, but did you also through your work have influence from elders or other witches, like other community who helped you access that way, Kieran, is in your life or did it really feel very like 
I mean, I just, it sounds to me like this personal relationship between you and Kieran and you just noticing, oh, Kieran, you're yeah. growing up or growing out or expanding, whatever it is. Uh, but I I'm mean, I, of course, of course, I've learned so much from other people, uh, both directly and indirectly that I, it's hard, it would be hard. And I, I've struggled with this a lot as someone who wants to um, have integrity with the way that I work and not you know, be accidentally appropriating something or, you know, whatever. Um, and it's hard mm -hmm. because witchcraft is such a part of my life for so long that it's hard for me to kind of um, separate out where certain things came from, yeah. and, you know, especially totally, because a lot yeah, of it totally does come, I think, from my guides or whoever it is that I'm interacting mm -hmm. with, you know, there's, and I, witches will say this, you know, that we get, we get downloads, we get information. Um, and I also, you know, consume as much witch media <laughs> as I can. <laughs> so it's like I've read, yeah. The, yeah, I read the yeah, books. Yeah, you've, you've absorbed yeah. a lot of content. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, podcast <laughs> yeah. books, uh, workshops, you know, mm. you name it. So um, I do I do think it was probably a combination, if that answers your question. It's like a lot of it came from my own yeah. personal experience and a, a lot of stuff that I've learned mm -hmm. absolutely can and should be credited to the many other wise people that I've um, gotten lucky to learn from over my life, whether directly yeah. or indirectly. I mean, that makes, that makes sense. And I relate, especially with the death and dying work to that yeah. deeply. And also, again, when I hear you talking about Kieran, it feels like a mm -hmm. paying attention, making oh, yeah. time with Kieran every year or in your life regularly is a way of paying attention. And so then noticing that he's changed or his presence is somehow different or you're relating to him differently. And I don't mean to put too much words on it. Cause you know, with these things, sometimes we get farther <laughs> away from <laughs> farther away from it than, you know, when we try sure. to explain what it is, but I, I just imagine you having a moment of, of it dawning on you like, Oh yeah. Kieran, wow. Yeah. I did you know? take a, um, mm -hmm. a dream workshop once and uh, I was really lucky. I, I they asked for a volunteer, and I I did. And um, it was the idea was to revisit a dream that you had had and go back into it, and in this kind of meditation way, um, complete the dream. So they asked, "Does anybody have a dream?" You know, and I had had this dream where I was in this like other world, and and I was interacting with this like glowing angel kind of figure and they were showing me around and and at one point I was just like you seem so familiar to me and they were like yeah it's me it's Kieran and I got so excited mm -hmm. that I woke up <laughs> mm -hmm. and I yeah. regretted it ever since and you know I have a lot of I have a lot of dreams I write down my dreams I study dreams but it was one that like I was like damn it uh, like I wish I feel like that was an opportunity yes. and I like, got so excited oh my gosh and so, yeah oh, to have hilarious. this opportunity to um to go back into that dream. And it was really cool because she asked the rest of the participants if they wanted to. You got to go yeah. back in the dream. Yeah. So it was like yes. the people um, either could hold space from the, where we were at, or if they felt like they were able to, mm -hmm. they could come with me back into the dream. And it was mm -hmm. about half and half. Mm -hmm. And the people who came with me uh, witnessed they were able to afterwards when we talked about it, you know, they were able to say like, Oh, I saw you talking and I saw this happen. And then I saw you guys disappear and they all saw the same things. So it was this really profound, like group meditative mm -hmm. experience. And let me tell you, oh when we, goodness. when it was over, I 
sobbed for like 10 minutes. I couldn't even speak. Everybody around me was just sharing their experience without hearing mine yet because I literally could not speak. Mm -hmm. I was like, I just... Oh, I mean, I imagine yeah. listening to everybody, it sounds like, was just its own, like, occurrence. Yeah, so I think over. about that a lot, you know, oh, just wow. like, he, he, you know, mm. he's happy to, he is one of my guides, and he's happy to show up and, mm -hmm. and you know. Oh, man, I, <laughs> I love that so much. I have to, I have to interject this story. When I'm living with my mom during that last year of her life, I really kind of, having had just watched Waking mm -hmm. Life, which yeah. I don't know if you know the movie, but I just, it was a huge influence on me during that time. But I'm trying to do conscious, like yeah. dreaming, you know, lucid dreaming. I'd never done it before. And I, I just am laughing hard because I both <laughs> think it's hilarious that you were yeah. so excited you woke up. And that's what happened to me. Like really the one time only that I ever, I wish it was something that special. I wish that I was like visited <laughs> by my dad and spending time with my ancestors. It's rare that I ever have dreams like that. And so it is a part of the conversation I want to stick with a little bit, but I think I just, I think I ate like Cheetos out of a TV cause I could like reach into the advertisement and eat them. And then I think like a, a beautiful woman was in the shower down the hallway and then I just was too excited and I woke up and, and then that was it. But I, I love the just startling moment of having Kieran show up in this new way and have it be so mind blowing and so moving that you would just, just yeah. wake up and then to have a chance to go back in there. Uh, oh my gosh. I I'm sure this is like Nick said, when we would talk, I would just be, uh, you know, so amazed by some of your stories and what you're up to. And that definitely feels like oh, one version of that. Um, I'm so, yeah, it's so cool to hear, hear you describe that. Um, I, I, I want to talk about, well, does that feel complete? Is, is it, is, Talking about Kieran, feel like you expressed everything you wanted to around um, that. I'm I mean, I'm sure I could say more, but I think that's the gist of it. Um, I will say that yeah. one thing that leads from Kieran into my dad is that, um, like I said, I started you know playing music in earnest. I picked up the violin, which oh my god, is so hard to start when you're 30 years old. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I mean, ever, um, but, okay. but I'm, I'm so thankful I did, and I and the guitar and the ukulele and um, mm. and singing. And so for for the next six years, I was uh, playing a lot of music with my dad, which I did not know. Mm that my dad was going to die six years later and how much, you know, it would right. mean to me to have had those six years of like a whole new layer of our relationship. Cause I guess it had already been a part of our relationship, but it just it expanded so much. You know, I started writing songs, he would play bass mm. on my songs, you know, it was just this like really, and he mm. was always so encouraging and um, enthusiastic about whatever, you know, no matter how bad I was, it was like, come to the jam and play your violin. And, you know, because he was very good by, you know, in his life, he was a yes. practice. <laughs> yes. He'd musician. been playing music yeah. for, you mm -hmm. know, decades and decades. And he was also like, so um, humble. And, you know, it was, it was always a pastime for him. It was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't his primary source of income or anything. It was just a, something he loved to do. And he loved to play with his friends and they, they met once a week and, and played and, um, you know, he performed a little bit, but it was like, mostly he was just doing it for the love of it, which is not to say that that's not what professionals are doing, but you know, I have lots of friends who are professional musicians and it's just a very different feeling. You know, for my dad, it was just like mm -hmm. joy period. Um, and so yeah. I just have all this gratitude that, 
to, to 30 year old Jenna for, you know, having the courage was, which is what it was. It was, it took a lot of courage to, to be so bad at something <laughs> and to do it For anyway, sure. you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, and I really, it, right? I really credit, you know, Kieran, his, his life and his death to that. And then mm. it just, it, you know, when, when my dad passed unexpectedly, you know, six years later, it was like, again, like looking for that meaning, it was like, well, at least I had those, I mean, I wish it would have been 36 years of playing music with my dad, but it kind of was, you know, but it just got better at the end. And so I'm just really grateful for that part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It feels like Kieran, that death, maybe anybody could make the connection and see how that kind of loss, the ways it would somehow just naturally guide us to how we are in relationship to other losses in our life in the future. You know, that, that just feels sometimes very matter of fact to me, even if you don't deal well with loss, you know, there's a way that somehow that'll connect to the next grief, you know, the next big loss. Um, But with this, what you're describing, it just feels very much like Kieran guiding you from even a knowing of this Mm -hmm. is ahead. Trust me. Music is where you need to go, (laughs) you know, stay with it and it'll matter, you know, it'll matter for this next loss. Like Kieran Mm -hmm. knew it and, and then you discovered it when it mattered, you know, when, when that time came, that's really, really, really Yeah. And something Um, else that, that I appreciate is that, you know, my dad and I, we grieved Kieran together. Um, and I'm really proud of mm -hmm. the way that my family, my family grieved. Um, we were, you know, it was, we were very connected. We were very open. We were very vulnerable and real. It was just like a, a really powerful thing. We kind of created our own (laughs) traditions within that death. And so when my dad's Mm -hmm. death came, it felt like I, we already kind of had practice in it and we had had practice with him, you know, if that makes sense. So it was like, we knew how he would have done it. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm which was also just like a really beautiful gift because, you know, it's, it's never easy to lose someone you love. And I think culturally it can be harder than it has to be if we don't have any sort of support or, you know, ritual around it. Mm -hmm. And we, it's meant to be something you, you know, don't really talk about and you just get over it in a week and, you know, all these things that are like, obviously Mm -hmm. very not true, but, um, you know, I just, I'm grateful to the way that my dad kind of taught me how to grieve. How about a refreshingly shorter than usual moment in the show to just say very directly to you, if you haven't rated and reviewed this podcast yet, however you listen to it, we're going to give you less of me talking and more of a musical interlude for the next minute or so for you to take one second while you're listening, go into your app and just get it done.
My dad had a heart attack and um, he was, you know, his parents had lived to to their 90s. So I felt kind of robbed. You know, I I feel like I lost 20 years that Mm. I could have had with my dad. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Just expected, you know, he was he was healthy as far as we knew. And uh, I will say that my my stepdad died a, a year later and he had been dying from cancer for about five years. And um to see the the different, you know, it was like on one hand, it was so hard to watch Charlie suffer. And when he died, there was a lot of grief. And there was that really Yeah, that was my stepdad. Mm-hmm. To to um as you I've heard you speak about that relief that like, well, at least they're not suffering anymore. And, you know, that kind of feeling. Uh I you know, we we got to say goodbye to Charlie. He was also right. a musician. We got he got to have a a living while well, he was still alive, there was a tribute to him, mm. you know. So it's like there was there was like a lot of sorrow in the way he died, but there was also like, we got to say goodbye to him. And with my dad, it was like, we didn't get to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. He was there one day and gone the next, but he also didn't suffer at all. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it makes you think about your own death (laughs) a lot (laughs) to see them, you know, within a year of each other and how different the two experiences were. It was like, Oh yeah. I'm so, I'm so happy for my dad, (laughs) you know, Uh the way he died. I'm like, way to go dad. Just, which way would you want it? Oh, definitely that way. I tell yeah. you, my, my favorite death of all the people that I've loved, my favorite death is my friend David, who um, 
He was in uh, Michoacan, Mexico. He was at the place where all the monarch butterflies gather. Mm -hmm. And he uh, had an aneurysm. He like died instantly just surrounded by millions of butterflies. Oh my gosh. And I'm just like, sign me up for that one. Like, oh how, do I, how do I get that? I want, I want to be sensitive <laughs> to how he feels about how he died and how maybe other people certainly feel. And I'm just thinking immediately it pops in my head the idea of these moments of just complete euphoria and somehow this aneurysm connecting to just like, okay, life is complete. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I'm out, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, knowing David, I think that that was probably how, how he would feel about it. Like, I don't yeah. think that he would feel any disrespect, to, you know, to hear us okay. talk about it yeah. like this. Cause I think that he was probably like, he was just the most mm -hmm. laid back guy. And I'm, you know, if he had a choice in which on some level, you know, uh, super consciously, not necessarily consciously, he had yes. a choice, you know, it was yes. like, yeah, yes. Yes. he made that choice and it was the right choice. Mm -hmm. I think about it. I'm just like, wow. Yeah. Good for you, Good for you man. <laughs> What's your dad's name? Ted. Ted. Yeah. Cool. I like Ted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I want it because I love these conversations in a way, especially with, well, just any guest, the, the idea that maybe you'd be on a show about witchcraft and you just talk about witchcraft a lot and, yeah. and that would make sense. And here I get to talk to you about these parts of your story that maybe wouldn't come up as often in, in a podcast. Maybe you commonly would be on like the versions, how many versions of that I've gotten, like talking to Ani DeFranco or, you know, whoever, but yeah. like this, uh, you're, I know you're doing this in the world and I want to know like what broke your heart more than anything or how is grief for you? And, and so I'm, I'm glad, I'm so glad we made time for them. Um, and love how you've connected it already to your work as a witch and your being as a witch. And I want to kind of go in that direction for sure and make yeah. sure we spend a fair amount of time talking about, especially I would like to start with a question I get a lot from community in the wake of great loss of, of loved ones is curiosity around moments when I talk about being in relationship to my mom still and being in conversation with her. And it is something I feel deeply. I know that the way I consider my relationship with my mom is a little more like kind of a creative practice. It is not very bound in any spirituality or religion. It feels like a, what I said earlier, like a kind of paying attention where mm -hmm. I could have a surprise suddenly realize, Oh my gosh, mom, like, like it happened a few years after she died. Oh my gosh, mom, you're free of the week where you were dying. Mm -hmm. Finally, you're not on the ground. Like you when you fell over or, quiet in the room while we're trying to eat Thanksgiving dinner, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, suddenly I'd notice maybe a version of what happened with Kieran where I just see her as someone else or in a new place or free from mm -hmm. a way I'd kept her in my grief. Um, and so I try to encourage people, but I don't have a lot of, this is how to do it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, and I'm, and I'm kind of not being fair, but I want to ask you, like, how would you tell people <laughs> here's how, <laughs> here's how to be in relationship with Kieran. Here's how I do it. Here's how I've stayed in relationship with my dad. Here's how I'm communication with them. And, and, and anyway, again, I want to be really, really sort of apologetic that it's a big <laughs> ask, but it, I, I can imagine listeners wanting to know. 
Absolutely. The rituals no. or, yeah. Okay. I'll say, first of all, I love that question. And I also will say, I'll, I will answer it and with the caveat that it's going to be unique to different people and their, their, sure. um, their connection to their, you know, in, intuition, their, their connection to their spirituality. I mean, there's going to be a lot of different ways that you could answer this question. But um, for me, you know, I, I keep, I keep altars. Um, I think that altars are really beautiful, you know, physical representation of our, um, our spirit, you know, what, what is sacred to us and what is special to us. Um, and so I have, I have several altars, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll say that mm-hmm. <laughs> in my witch's house. Um, but I, one thing that I do every year that I, that I just love, I just, every year I'm like, is it time? I kind of like make myself wait till the, uh, fall equinox, but mm-hmm. before I do it, but I set up a big death altar, um, that I keep up through like the first week of November usually. And, and with that altar, it's like, I put all the pictures of everybody that I have. And if I don't have pictures, I have physical re- representations yeah, of objects, in some way of that yeah. person or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and different, you know, skulls and other things, uh, every, everything that's death to me, but primarily it's a place to connect with, you know, I think I have ancestor altars and that's a little different. This is kind of a, it's more, yes, it's my ancestors, but it's also, you know, my friend that I lost when I was 16 and Mm -hmm. the friend that I lost when I was 25, you know, it's like, I, I, when I make these altars, I'm like, holy shit, I've lost Mm -hmm. a lot of people. Um, Wow. Uh, But it's Mm -hmm. this thing that when I, when I counsel people to build an altar, I usually suggest that, um, you only keep it up as long as you're active with it. Like you don't really want like a dusty stagnant altar, that's not the point of an altar. Mm-hmm. So, um, like even the little ones in your house that you have. Yeah. I mean, I don't always take my own advice. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best. Yeah. You dust sometimes. I dust, you know, I do my yeah. best. Um, I, know, I, definitely I love am that. Not. I love both your honesty just then. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely, absolutely imperfect and guilty of leaving my elders to get stagnant. And then, you know, when I have time and I'm inspired, I'll take everything apart and clean mm. it up and then reset it and totally. start again, you know. Cool. Um, yeah. But yeah. I mean, you know, obviously <laughs> leave room for yourself as a flawed human, but, um, <laughs> but you know, what yeah. you, you just don't want it to, you don't want to like make an altar, then forget about it. You want yeah, to make I mean, an the altar meaninglessness then, is what yeah. comes up for me is that if it's just there, then it's just a lamp, you know, um, right. the thoughtfulness, yeah. your engagement with it, your care of it, um, that it's an intentional space that totally exactly. makes sense. I love that. Yeah. yeah and that's also a place for you to go and, and be with whatever arises around whatever the altar is about. So in this case, you are talking about death. It's like, for me, I just get so excited because even though I interact with death pretty regularly, it's like something about that fall season, that death season where I'm really in it. And I just want to, I want to, I want to every day, I want to pour a little bit of my morning tea in a, my little, in the little cute small cup and put it there on the <laughs> altar and then drink my tea with my, with my loved ones, you know, or I yeah. want to go and like ring a bell or light some, incense or um mm-hmm. you know put on some music and dance with the altar or whatever it is it's a little bit different all the time but it's like a creative um challenge almost of like how can i keep this relevant how can i continue to interact with these 
people that I love and just, you know, have a conversation, just sit at the altar and have a conversation or, you know, pull some cards and give them a chance to to speak to me through that medium or whatever. Um, Mm. So that's one way I think can be really, because it's in a way it's kind of like you're giving yourself permission. If you need, like you have this grief, this grief dump thing that you guys do. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the word for it. I I love, I love this. It's grief release, but I love grief grief release. It's the the detritus of of grief. Throw it in the hole. No, it works. It works. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like this permission to like, I'm going to stand at this altar and grieve for 10 minutes and then I'm going to get back to my day or whatever, you know, but there's something really powerful about like signaling to yourself that this is a sacred, I'm stepping into the sacred right now. Mm -hmm. And even if I only have two minutes to just like say hi and put my tea here and then walk away and get back Mm -hmm. to my day, it's like, I'm, I'm stepping into that relationship with these people that I love. And so I think that, you know, if you're brand new to, to this kind of thing, I think that's a really like easy and safe kind of jumping off mm-hmm. point. Um, instead of just being like, Oh, you just, you know, you're, you just use your mediumship skills and you just talk to, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you might not be there yet. And that's yeah, fine. Right. You can still forever or ever, you but know, yeah, and you're you can, making it accessible and describing it this way. I, I, yeah, I appreciate well, that. Well, here's one thing that I think that people are really quick to uh, dismiss anything that they, any information they get as their, you know, quote unquote imagination, Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I just imagined that. And my question is always like, what's your imagination? Yes. Where does that come from? Why are we dismissing that so quickly, Jenna? you know? And so I tell tell them like, you can just imagine what they would say back to Mm -hmm. you. You can start there and, and who's to say that's not them. Or some part of them that's still living in you or whatever, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert. Nobody living is an expert on what happens when we die. But, you know, it's like, I, I do think that, that our loved ones live on within us, you know, and, and I think that if nothing else, if you're communicating with that part of them that's in you, that's still Mm -hmm. really healing for you. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that just creating space for, um, for that like time to put aside to just communicate and let yeah. and let the communication be what it is and trust what comes through and don't overanalyze it and don't you know dismiss it as like oh that's just some silly thing it's like mm-hmm. who's to say who's to say your imagination isn't yeah. how your spirit guides talk to you well yeah <laughs> i mean i would think of it too and me you know tell me if you you kind of agree in this encouragement for uh, people is the risk of overthinking it that even kind of removes us from the state that's required for us to connect to mm-hmm. our dead, let's say for the purpose of this conversation, like our opening, whether you call it imagination, creativity, uh, medium work, whatever, yeah. that it comes from a place of being in a state of openness. Yes. And I know yeah. it's not just that simple, but when you start to think, well, what is happening? Like I said earlier, the way we start to put words on top of it. Well, let me just describe it. Let me tell you for sure. Or let me start saying, well, what, what is it? Because it couldn't possibly be fill in the blank. Then you're just already, you've removed yourself from just that precious, simple occurrence, which is you got medicine out of a moment with just feeling like you heard your mom say, loving words to you or a message of, of, of support or whatever, like it doesn't need more than just saying, yes, okay. I'm uh, receiving that and just being grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> we agree. Cool. We agree. <laughs> Moving on. So, so, but I also want to say, I think listeners would say to you, Jenna, maybe they're out there thinking, but I want ghosts. Like yeah. I want something definitive. Yeah. I, how can I get that? And yeah. I, again, I'm not saying that our conversation on a podcast is going to, but I want to kind of get into that. Cause I know part of what you did want to talk about is ghosts. so many of the being, <laughs> yeah, ghosts, the dead, yes. the death as a portal, the crossing over. Uh, yeah. So I, th- these are things, <laughs> these huge categories. I know. Right? Uh, I, I want to make sure we cover. <laughs> Absolutely. Same. I um, think I do okay. want to talk about ghosts all day long. Let's so think yeah. about that. Like a listener's out there really wanting that. I mean, my yeah. version is I don't really know that I, just to be honest, I don't know that I want a ghost, um, right. but I want to dream. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to dream about my mom and I don't a lot. You know, I'm thinking of yeah. people listening who would want to know from you, Jenna, like, well, how can I make room for that in my life? Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to begin by defining. I'm going to define a few things. Okay, cool, great. My, my definition, of course, based on my experience. Sure, that's what right? I want. No, there's no facts here. Got it. Um, okay, so yeah, for um, listeners, for anyone yeah. listening, nothing here is factual. Nothing it's here important is factual. that you remember <laughs> that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> You don't have to believe it if you don't want to, you know, have your own experiences. Exactly. Yeah. So um, when I talk about ghosts, I also sometimes call them earthbound spirits. And, and I'm, I'm talking about them in contrast to, uh, to spirits who have crossed over, who Mm, I usually refer to as ascended Mm -hmm. or like ascended ancestors is, you know, how I, when I'm calling on my ancestors, I ask for my ascended ancestors. Um, and so in my, in my experience, uh, when we die, we have an option. There's a light, which we've, you know, this is not new. People have heard of the light, you know, where you can go into the light and cross over. And when you cross over, you kind of transcend your humanness, which is, I think that, you know, that feeling I had of Kieran mm-hmm. was that he was so much bigger than just this little human child, you know, um, I think that there's this transcendence that happens. I think that there's, I don't know how, I don't know, you know, a return to the collective soul or source or whatever. And I think that, um, I think that there's a lot of healing and forgiveness in the light. I think it's a place that's open to everyone. Um, however, I think that a lot of people choose not to go into the light because, you know, as many reasons, uh, some would be, you know, if say you are, uh, you believe, you know, strongly in Christian uh, dogma and and you've done something that you consider a sin. You know, you might think mm-hmm. that you're going to, that by crossing over, you're committing yourself to eternity in hell and you'd much rather stay uh, as wow. a ghost, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that's one possibility. Sometimes ghosts die really quickly. They don't realize they're dead. So they're just kind of stuck in this confusion and this kind of loop of um, re-experiencing their death or, or, you know, just kind of being lost, um, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I could go on and on about that, but basically there are reasons, you well, know, listen, just real quick. I want to make yeah. sure I trust that you're, you could go on and on about that, but you're trying to stay on course with mm-hmm. this particular <laughs> line of questioning. Yeah. And I don't want you to feel rushed, rushed okay. if you're feeling rushed. And Thank I don't you. think I'm making you feel rushed, but I don't no. want you to think that yeah. Anyway, I don't feel rushed. Thank you for saying that. I feel a little bit more like I have so much I want to say and I want to make sure I don't like just blah, you know, all over, yes. all over the room. So, um, so I think when I, when you say, you know, I don't know if I want ghosts, I, my answer is no, you don't want ghosts because ghosts are, um, in general, they're, 
they're not happy. You know, they're, they've stuck around because of some confusion mm-hmm. or fear or pain. And, you know, ghosts are only energy. So that's what you're going to feel when you're around a ghost 99% of the time. You know, you're going to feel that the trauma that they're holding and the wounding that they're holding. And they haven't transcended their humanness. They're just, they're still themselves and everything that comes along with that. Um, but they haven't, but they're dead. So it's like, they're, they're often angry about that. They don't have the same like abilities, you know, and have any physical capabilities anymore. So that's a whole thing. And so it's like, um, in my, in my experience, and it's really interesting because this didn't actually start really coming up until for me, until the pandemic, it had come up a little before, but I think with the pandemic, there were so many people who were dying in these ways that they were not, you know, they were dying alone. They were dying afraid. They weren't getting to, you know, have the the closure of a, of a funeral service or, you know, something where their people were coming together to mourn them. And I, and all of a sudden there was like more ghosts than ever and they weren't getting what they needed to cross over. Mm-hmm. And so they were still here. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I dealt with ghosts here and there before then, but all of a sudden it became this calling of mine mm-hmm. to try to help grow ghosts to cross over because in my opinion, <laughs> um, that a lot of the, the trauma, you know, we've all heard of ancestral trauma. You know, we know that we can inherit things mm-hmm. in our in our bodies physically um, we also you know many of us agree that we inherit things energetically and spiritually as well and so I think that if our ancestors are still actually holding and have not transmuted their trauma and their suffering then of course it's still very active in us and mm-hmm. If we look at the shit show that is humanity, (laughs) it makes you wonder if we don't just have a lot of unresolved and unhealed trauma, you know, that are leading to racism and misogyny and patriarchy and um, environmental damage and all these other things that we've been doing for so long as humans, that even though we all agree that we've evolved past that and we should be doing better, mm-hmm. we're not, mm-hmm. we're still very heavy with all of these things. Yeah. Um, I don't think that, you know, crossing over ghosts is the only way to change these systems <laughs> at all, but I do think it's a part of that work mm-hmm. to help like, you know, one kind of one person at a time, one lineage at a time kind of begin to heal some of those things so that we can grow past them. Mm. And so, uh, I kind of made this agreement that I sometimes question that I am willing to do that work and ghosts will find me. Sometimes question. Yeah. Well, you know, I have to have strong boundaries. They will come to me. So I have to have boundaries around how willing I am to do this. And I will say like, now's not a good time. You know, can you come back? Can we do this another time or whatever? I have to exert my boundaries sometimes, but um, in general, if a ghost comes to me or, you know, shows up, you know, in, in a client session, or I do have, I do hold ceremonial kind of crossover things uh, uh, once a year around Halloween, mm-hmm. or I should say around Halloween, usually more than once. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have a couple circles around that time to, um, to do, you know, to cross over just whoever's around. Cause they really, they, uh, it's easier to, interact with the spirit world during liminal times yes. and when the veil, Halloween's one of those times, you know, the when the veil is thin. Yes. And so I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a powerful time to do this kind of work. And if you're wanting to do it on a bigger scale, 
I highly recommend doing it with others because it's a lot to hold mm-hmm. by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's like I'll do some one-on-one work with ghosts, but I'm not trying to hold like a mass event crossing over, you know, yes. dozens of ghosts unless I have a coven with me to hold that space. And you've um, done that. I have done yeah. that. Yeah. The last like three years, I think I've had Halloween spirit circles and it's amazing. It's amazing what happens at these circles and the way that, um, the people experience it, you know, everybody experiences it differently, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really fun to kind of debrief about it afterwards. Oh, sure. and God, I'm realize like, it. Oh, I was going through that. And then this happened. And then I see that's, that was when you jumped in and took over or whatever, oh, you know, yeah. it's like, it's so cool. This is um, there's so many directions I could go right I now. Know. I'm, I'm so overwhelmed. <laughs> um, so I'm realizing now when I looked at crossing over in your list of things you maybe would want to talk about, this is specifically what we're talking about. I assume when I read it yeah. that it was you crossing over or anyone being able to cross over. But when you use that that term, you do mean crossing over ghosts. I mean, I mean, trying to get ghosts to, yeah, Yeah. to move over to the other side. And um, I will say that I, that there's something that happens not every time, but sometimes when I am experiencing this with a ghost is I will get a, they'll like share a glimpse with me. It's just like, it's this, it's always the fastest thing. And I, Mm -hmm. and it's like, it just goes so quickly, but I get this feeling of, it's like my whole body gets kind of swept in ecstasy. Like Mm -hmm. it's blissful. And I feel like completely made of light and, and then it's gone. It happens. I'm right, right back in my body and I'm like weeping and what just happened, you know? And it's, I've, I've come to realize that sometimes a ghost will share that with me as they're crossing over to like, kind of let me know in a way, like, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what's happening. And it's so beautiful. Like, thank you. you Thank you. That's how it feels. It feels like gratitude and it feels, I'm just so, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for that experience. Um, (laughs) Can, can I come? to do or is it just when you do it is it not and i'm 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 not joking and i'm kind of joking and i want to ask a question out of it which is when you do this i imagine it's important that the people that are present are a certain kind of person you know and i don't mean like you know like capable and intentional and believer and you know i don't know is that true to an extent, I try not to, I, I walk a fine line of trying not to like exclude or gatekeep while also wanting to make sure everybody is going to be present, is going to be safe and therefore keep each other safe. Mm-hmm. And so when I do kind of send these invites out, um, I usually start with the community that I have worked with, that I know knows how to at least in the very least kind of hold space and be in ceremony. Um, and it has an open mind. You don't have to like believe, you know, blindly in everything that we're doing. You know, I don't, yeah. I'm like, maybe this is what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know. You know? So yeah, it's like, yeah, I really just having an open mind. It doesn't have to be like, uh-huh. Oh yeah, this, everything Jenna's saying is true. More just, um, you know, believing that there's a possibility that they're going to encounter some ghosts tonight and that maybe even be able to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do, I do try to always have it be a little bit open. And I just, the only thing I ever say is if somebody reaches out and wants to come and they've never worked with me before or whatever, or haven't done something like this before, I just, I'm really honest. I'm like, there's danger. There is danger. There's, this is not, I can't guarantee that you are mm-hmm. going to be completely safe. We're going to do a lot of protection and boundaries because I want you to be completely safe. But like, I can't 
I can't hold your physical and energetic boundaries for you. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're going to have to do that for yourself. Yeah. So um, who's going to be there? You're going to want them to be someone who's confident in, in their capacity to, to do so. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yes, Ned, you would be invited. Oh yeah. Oh do it. yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. I do not uh, do them online. I do, I do online circles, but not this oh, one. Gosh, this one I, I do mean. in person. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to be there. An eye on things. Um, <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> there's so much more I could say on this topic well, let, and I'm happy to stick with it a questions. minute. I do have other questions. Yeah. I did want to acknowledge that I missed our, our, our time. I'm good right now. We're, we've been, we've oh, been yeah. recording for about a buck 15, but, um, you're good. No problem. To, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just a couple more questions about sort of, yeah, the ghost conversation and, and then I, I'm feeling ready to ask some other questions, but I want to ask you, people come to you and say, you know, I, I need help crossing over a ghost that I feel like is in my home or someone come to you and say, I feel like I have a ghost that I'm dreaming about, or I know that this is my grandma and I feel like they need, you know, how, how does this, when you're, when it's your work like that, you know, you're going to hold a circle, let's say during, during, um, that time when the veil is thin, how, how are you receiving these ghosts other than the ones that very obviously sounds like come to you and say, I need your help. Like what, however that, I mean, I mean, I'm, there's 80 questions that I just asked yeah. you. How does a ghost come <laughs> yeah. to you? And I'm going to try to, right. how does a ghost come right. to you? How does it ask you to get crossed over? How does someone mm-hmm. else come to you on behalf of a ghost? Mm-hmm. And um, do they bring the ghost Is the ghost in their home? You know, things like that. And you could right. be like, this is too much. We need to move on to the other questions. No, these are great questions. I'm just trying to think of how to answer them. Um, so yes, I will say that I, I kind of, I have this intention out there and I, and I believe it to work that the people come to me when they're ready to come to me, when they're supposed to come to me. And that's that, you know, so when clients come to me, I just trust that it's the right timing and it's supposed to happen now. And, and often that is because whether they are aware of it or not, they're being haunted. <laughs> I don't know if often is the right word, but some of the time, some of the people who come to me are like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm I like, there's, there's a ghost with you. Would you like help crossing them? Over? You know? Um, so that, that happens like that. Sometimes, sometimes people come to me knowing that they're like, I think I have a ghost, <laughs> you know, <laughs> can you help with that? And I'm like, come on over. Um, or, you know, I will do one-on-one crossings on online as well. So like if I've, I've worked with people, you know, virtually, who've had some ghost stuff they need to resolve mm-hmm. resolution with. And I feel comfortable doing that okay. because, you know, honestly, I think ghosts, ghosts are people. So ghosts are as dangerous as people, you know? So it's like some people are very polite and they respect boundaries and they're willing to listen, you know, mm-hmm. and some are not, some are not. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, if I'm dealing with someone with a ghost that is, has some relationship to my client, it's usually a quote unquote safe, you know, kind of interaction because it's, it's their friend or their family. It's not someone who's trying to take over them or harm them mm-hmm. in some way. It's someone who's trying to give them a message or whatever, you yeah. know? So usually, usually it's not dangerous. And I, I tend to be really extra when it comes to this topic because I do work with clients and I have this like need for everybody to be safe. And I don't want someone to leave, you know, a session with me at, 
with a ghost attached to them or something. Yep. So I, I, I go above and beyond with the protection and boundaries stuff. I think maybe more than I need to, but okay, whatever, better safe than sorry in this realm. Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's pretty uncommon that I encounter ghosts that are dangerous or harmful, which is not to say I haven't, but in general, they're just the people they were when they were alive and they just need to, they need to be forgiven or they need to be witnessed. Um, they need the light. That's part of the work is to bring the light in because they're not necessarily, the light opens for you when you die, but it doesn't just stay with you. You know, I think you have a certain amount of time. I don't know exactly what. I think we all have some time. You can go to your funeral, you know, mm-hmm. and say goodbye. But then the, then the light kind of slowly fades away. And so if you're finding a ghost that's been earthbound for years or decades or centuries, in some cases, you know, they, they don't even know how to cross over. Mm. And so it's like, sometimes they just need help. They're, they've, they've, they've evolved enough on their own to realize they don't want to be earthbound anymore, but they don't know how. Mm to cross over. And so part of that is bringing in the light for them. And I will say, just in case anybody is going to try to do this at home, um, you, know, you say, don't try to like, do this at home. I know, you know, I'm not going to tell people what they should or shouldn't do, especially <laughs> if, you are, if you have some sort of spiritual practice and you're good at boundaries yeah. and protection, you know, go for it. But I will say that the, the, the easiest way I've learned to open the light is to um, invite your ascended ancestors in because that's where they live. Mm. You know, and you ask them to bring the light with them. And so when I'm working with the ghost, I invite in my ascended ancestors and their ascended ancestors. Mm. And I learned this because I was trying to cross someone over once and he was, um, he did not like me. He was there with his daughter and he was this like really kind of conservative daughter was living. She was my client and her father was there and he was this kind of very conservative uh, Greek Orthodox man who was he did not like my witchcraft he did not like what I was doing he felt like I was you know he just didn't like mm-hmm. me and I was like fair enough <laughs> I don't speak your language I don't know your traditions yeah, I'm not gonna force this I'm not gonna force this so I invited his ascended ancestors why did you know in, then to I, do that Jenna I was just something I did in the moment You've it was never just done like, it before I've never done wow. it before I just oh was God. like I was like, can someone help? Yeah. You guys know the songs to sing. Yeah. You know the words you to already. sing. You know the dances <laughs> and the traditions or whatever. You know, yeah. you're, you know, you do it. Yeah. And, you know, so that's once I realized like, oh, that's how you do this. You don't try to like, you know, create something meaningful for someone in a different culture when they don't believe in witchcraft and they don't, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't need this little white girl Mm -hmm. telling them what to do or whatever, you know, it's like, you're right. That's not my place. This is your, this is your experience. Mm -hmm. You, you, you're ready to cross over and let's get your people in here Mm -hmm. and they can help you. And I just told ceremonial space. So, you know, I have a fire going or maybe I have some music or silence, you know, whatever it looks like it's different every Mm -hmm. time, but just holding this space that feels sacred, that feels ceremonial, and then inviting their ancestors in to help them, give them the experience they need to feel ready to cross over. Cool. So cool, right? Yeah, cool. I, so I, can I, I'm, I'm doing a good job that I'm not used to of wondering what the listener might be thinking. And, and it's feeling nice because I think it's <laughs> helping lead our conversation. Cause I'm, 
I don't know. It could be just here with you and the way I feel about you in our meeting each other. But I also think in general, I have a way, like I described with my mom, of being open and paying attention. And so then like, I don't, I'm not questioning. I'm fascinated. I'm curious. I want to learn from it. I'm just absorbing it, you know, like not, like I don't feel resistance. And I wonder, like you've experienced in your life and you're coming into your being a witch, and I mean publicly more than Mm -hmm. anything, the pushback on some of these things. And I'm wondering if a listener, which you know, there's someone out there thinking like, I don't believe in any of this. And I wonder Mm -hmm. what you'd say. I could (laughs) hear you say, well, fine. But I also wonder what you could say and like, well, what you could be paying attention for. I'm using terms that don't match for what might be possible for you. And then I'm Mm -hmm. imagining, you know, when I think about haunting, you know, I think like the way someone else might describe it is like, I just told you about my mom, you know, how she died and how I felt like she was trapped for several Mm -hmm. years in the trauma of that death and the suddenness of it really. And in a way it's suddenly connecting to what you said about why ghosts are still here sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I really do want to make room for you just to say, well, it's okay. Like it's not, if it's not for you, then, you know, you're not going to force people to believe it. But I also wonder if you ever, or right now can put things into terms that offers people an access point to this that might not usually be able to access this. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that is something I think about because I tend to, you know, at the point when I started to claim my witchcraft publicly, I kind of was like, you know what? Who cares if people sure. don't like witches? They don't have to like me. They don't have which to know I, whatever. Which I think is needed to say so. sometimes in state. You know? Right. And and yet I do, I have, you know, I have colleagues who are who are better at making this stuff a little bit more accessible than me with, through their language. So I do think about this kind mm. of thing, um, which is not to say I'm great at it, but uh, <laughs> well, I will first say like, it's okay with me if you don't believe me. Like I don't have, like I said, none of the, what I'm saying is factual. I'm very sincere. Clearly I'm not yes. trying to fool anyone. Right. This is all like based on my personal experience. Um, obviously I've, I've done lots of reading and stuff to see what other people are experiencing. I, you know, um, there are other people who are having similar experiences to me, which I find to be, you know, validating. Um, that said, yeah, I mean, the way you just described it, that you felt like she was trapped in her trauma. I think that, you know, I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I would I like to say hopefully can. not. But, yeah, in those terms. Yeah, can. right. Yeah, in like what it I is I hear people to... talk about it. You know, it's like my dad, yeah. I just can't stop thinking about, you know, because that feels like a haunting to me. I can't mm-hmm. stop thinking about my dad's last gasp and the look and the suffering, and, you know, and in a way it's yeah. keeping them there you know, mm-hmm. here, keeping yeah. them here, you know, keeping them. It is. I mean, sometimes that's what I experience with ghosts is they're still here because they feel like they're like, they're somehow betraying their loved ones if they cross over, you mm-hmm. know? So I've had to have that conversation with the dead, you know, mm-hmm. of like, you, you know, you're not helping them because ghosts, you know, even no matter how well intentioned they are, they, they need energy and they primarily get energy from us. So even if it's your, it's your mom and she loves you and all she wants to do is protect you. It's like, she's actually draining you of your energy by being here, you know? So it's like, you need uh, to, this yeah, is not, yeah, I'm real, not answering your question no, right no, now. No, no, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling it. No, yeah. No, I, so I'm, it's like, you really are. Maybe well, a listener's like lost. Okay, They're good. like, oh my God. But, <laughs> yeah, but no, well, I mean, I'm that sure, really, I'm, you know, that, 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 ex- it was draining. 
Yeah, it's draining. It is. I mean, I've been around ghosts. I know what it feels like and I know the difference. You know, for me, it's it's pretty clear at this point. Um, my, my gauge is pretty obvious when I'm around, you know, an earthbound or an ascended spirit because it's the way they show up is completely different, you know, and if they're ascended, then their presence is is light and warm and it feels safe. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, um, that's how I you know, feel that's about my I, mom now. Exactly. So, you know, that you can tell the difference, you know, you can tell what, what happens with their energy, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think we can absolutely still connect to our people once they've ascended or whatever, once they've crossed over, you know, I, I still connect with my dad. He, he crossed over. I, you know, he didn't need any help. He crossed right Mm -hmm. over. Um, and he still wanted to know about that. Like how, how, I wanted to hear you say that. Yeah. And I want to know how you're still with him, you know, like, how are you still, but I know that's another, I don't mean to distract you from finishing your thought. No, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't even know if I remember what my thought was. I I feel complete on all that. (laughs) I do want to ask you a question. Yes. Uh, Before we talk about your dad a little more, I want to ask you if we, you know, in a way I feel like I was responsible keeping my mom here. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you, I feel like you kind of said that just a moment ago when you talk about like relationships, maybe yeah. like where we mm-hmm. won't let our loved one cross over because maybe you didn't say that, um, but that's the question. Well, the question is like the way you describe ghosts being here, is it ever because we've can't let them cross over? Yeah, I think it is. And this is not to like shame anyone or guilt anyone because that's a totally reasonable response to losing Mm -hmm. a loved one. And I think that sometimes, you know, I mean, people will say like, don't leave me when someone's dying. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. That's like a, that's like a, that's a pretty deep request. And so, you know, a ghost will, or a spirit will, okay, I'll stay with Mm -hmm. you. Like you, I want to protect you. I want to be with you. I can see how much you're hurting let me try to be present with you. And, um, I, you know, I, I think that one of the things we can do is give our loved ones permission to leave when they die, because that might be what they're, that might be what they need to move on. You know, I think there, it's not always that straightforward, but well, th- this feels significant. Cause I, again, I'm thinking of someone who can't quite buy into the ghost reality uh-huh. and, that what comes out of this conversation though, I think are options for them to remember in a way that matters. You know, again, I think about it like knowing that we're not haunted because we gave permission or we, you know, Uh like that's significant, like that reminder that we make time at the end of life to as hard as it is Mm -hmm. not say don't go, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, even if you did say that, then yeah. you can always change your yeah, mind. And you know, I, you're right. Say, I don't want to, you, you know, know what? I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm okay now. Mm-hmm. Like I want you to be free. I want you to yeah. be happy. Like, please, you know, God, I, we're not I, okay. I God, it's crazy. Cause I just, I so yeah. love you just saying, I understand why anyone would say don't leave. I would understand why anyone would yeah. like be like, I am not okay with you leaving, you know, even yeah. if you don't say it, there's just the feeling I wasn't okay with my mom dying. Yeah. You know? No. I wasn't ready. No. Absolutely I not. not. Her I permission. Also, yeah. 
Totally. And I, you know, I, I think that's a very valid response. And that's certainly been my response as well, you know, internally. Um, thankfully, you know, through my experience, I know to to not, you know, request that of my mm-hmm. <laughs> of my dead, you know, to to say like, I love you, you're free now, like check in on me sometimes, go have fun, kid, mm-hmm. you know, kind of yeah. vibe. It's like <laughs> you got the the whole the the whole afterlife is your oyster. Like go go get yeah. it. Um, yeah, because <laughs> I think you know, personally, personally, I don't fear my death at all. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I have a certain amount of anticipation. I'm like, what happens? This is so exciting. Like this opportunity to, you know, explore the next phase of existence. Like I think it's all very exciting and beautiful. I certainly fear the death of my loved ones, but I don't fear my own death at all. Um, I think partially that's because of this experience that I've had with the light and with my dead who are, you know, at this point, mostly crossed over. They're still, you know, I can do all my work and ultimately I can't, I can't throw someone into the light. You know, they have to choose it. Sitting on dog beach. Sitting on dog beach. Log against my back. Log against my back. Looking at the lake across the railroad track. Check out that song by the Shook Twins off their album, Some Good Lives. And I just want to acknowledge real quick as an apology to Nick live (laughs) while we're recording. We just recorded 10 minutes and my microphone wasn't uh, working. And so (laughs) now we're reliving some of the things that we already lived through. And uh, so that happened. Um, And one thing that happened is the Shook Twins was in communication with Nick while we were recording so that I made sure to say that album name correctly because I thought maybe it was read as Some Good Lives. And so it's Some Good Lives. Check out their album, Dog Beach. It's at the very end of the album. And what a sweet way to know that Jenna 
our guest is connected to them and Nick's connect to them and all the friendship and community, uh, just feeling that. And so glad to have their song. Thank you. The shook twins for letting us use your, your song, um, in the episode. And I'll link you all up listeners to their album. Go check it out. And Jenna Bowers, thank you for being on the show. I want you all to be able to connect to Jenna and a few ways to do that would be to go to their website, thewaywitch.com. Find them on Instagram and TikTok at The Way Witch. Nick Jana, how are you? <laughs> Hi, Ned. I just wanted to say good job on this interview. Oh, you guys. You did great work on uh, receiving somebody that you didn't know anything about and rolling with it and making them feel comfortable oh, and conducting good. a quality interview. Good. So, it matters to me to feel that way. 10 out of 10. It matters to me that you feel that way. Thank you for, uh, you guys, we're just re-saying like just the heart of everything we already recorded. It's very weird to re-record things that you still want to talk about. Uh, I'm so glad you feel that way. I'm so glad we could get to the acknowledgement so I it didn't sound like I was fishing for it at any <laughs> point. Um, and so thank you for that. I want to do good by your friends who you bring on the show. And I know you're proud of and believe in what we do here. So you wouldn't ask. And if you didn't know, I would do that. But I want to say especially or specifically with Jenna, I didn't really know when you introduced her, you'd said something about my mind be about to be blown by talking with her, but you didn't tell me where to go. And she really didn't give me the language either to get to the thing. And so one of the words we talk about that she listed as an option to speak to in our conversation I just didn't know what it meant. And then it turns out that was kind of the thing you had in mind, this ghost, the presence of the ghosts. And um, I'm so glad that we ended up talking about that because I really do feel like what it gave me with my mom, I'm just assuming maybe you'd want to ask about my mom. Um, not that you already did when we tried to record this once before. <laughs> this is just me <laughs> riffing. Um, my mom and the way it gave me her not in a way that I needed, but in a way that was fresh and, and got me to see something that I hadn't, I guess, considered before. And that is that the way I got to this ghost conversation was through her and knowing that, in fact, when I think about the last moments of her life, something I got when I was talking to hospice nurse Penny in another episode really resonated talking to Jenna, which is this feeling that my mom was ready to go and that she knew I was ready to let her go in those moments that felt really traumatic and, and hard in those, those last, that last hour of her life in the hospital. And I think there was a way she was still haunting me in the years to come because I maybe hadn't got to that realization. And so I'm left wondering if I need to give her that communication, that's actually something I'm left with, with Jenna. Cause when I assume Jenna's reality, I, and this work with ghosts, it makes me, it does make me wonder, like, is my mom totally free? And it, I feel like she is of that. And that we've had our own conversation and our own, what's the word Jenna uses for crossing over. I feel like my mom has, um, but I, but I did, I did kind of wonder like, Jenna, does she need more help? You know, like, I don't know. I haven't got to ask Jenna that, but anyway, that's that. Well, 
you, you can talk with her. You can have a session with her. Yeah, I wonder. Work. Yeah. Actually, after hearing that interview, uh, I booked a session with her. Because oh, cool. I've had a, I've had what our friend Olivia Pepper calls a succubus uh, for decades now that I'd like to understand. Uh, it, it causes me a lot of restless sleep and waking up in the middle of the night thinking that something's happening. And I'd like to get some perspective on that. Yeah. Succubus is the one where it like climbs on you in the night kind of, and yes, like suffocates you. Yeah. I've heard it like sexual sometimes there's like sexuality in woven in there. Yeah. Do you want to say more? Well, that's the episode <laughs> folks. Uh, we're in your ears because it's dear to fear. Bye everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks Nick. Thanks everybody. Until next time. Bye-bye.